Idaho! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is episode 48 of the Archipreneur Now. The Archipreneur Now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong, and I had on an amazing guest today, Gina Cha. She is a lawyer in the San Francisco area. She has her own practice, but she's also practicing mindfulness and meditation. She came to me through a network of Kim Nickel, who was episode four on this show, which I highly suggest everybody go back and check that little gym out. But G- Gina's amazing. And I've kept in touch with her, and we've had several calls since this interview, and she's getting into the podcasting world, and I am all in on what she's doing. It's an amazing thing, and I've been listening to her podcast, and it's been helping me. It's called the Mindful Pause Meditation, and she's got this sweet thing on there called like the 30 Days of Meditation Challenge, but I highly suggest you check it out. It is like ultra-calming, ultra-soothing meditation. I mean, something about it just kind of makes your bones chill. So it's super relaxing. If you don't know how to meditate and you haven't meditated and you're afraid of meditating, oh my gosh, you're missing out so much. It has revolutionized my life. I used to think exactly like you. You can get on artsynow.com and go to the blog and read a couple posts all about that. But right now, hang on to your pants, little boys and girls, because this is going to get a little bit exciting. So for all the show notes, it's artsynow.com forward slash 48. And here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity stinkity rickety dickity beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do. I do. get on with your bad selves. Yeah. creative little ears hang low and do they wobble to the front well you better not tie them in a knot because our guest today is calming a whole lot of storm in the attorney field through teaching mindfulness and meditation she's an attorney and she's a writer and she's on a mission to make a difference in something much larger than herself coming out of san francisco california Gina Chaw. Gina, you are the entrepreneur now. What is going on? I am really excited to be on this show. And how do I follow up that incredible introduction? I think I have a little bit of anxiety now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about that. I'll tell you what you could do. You could come here and take care of this terrible cat problem that I have in my house where they just sit here and claw outside the door. So I hope you can't hear that. (laughs) <laughs> I never wanted them in the first place. I was I was uh, bribed into it. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm super pumped to have you on, and, and it, it's been an amazing short amount of time that I've known you. But you're super inspiring, and it, it's not very often you come across someone who is a lawyer who's also teaching mindfulness and meditation. And I, I know I had Kim Nickel on, which you know in person, 
and I you do. said you know her very well, so you can get into that a little bit. But I'm I'm extremely interested in you and what you're doing and, and kind of your background and and you know you're writing a book now, yeah, called The Anxious Lawyer. And so we can get into all these amazing things, but if you want to start by just telling us a little bit about you and kind of how you came over here to the United States and your upbringing. And, and if you always wanted to be a lawyer, if you wanted to like be in the circus or something amazing like that um, and so on. Uh, sure. So let's see. Um, so when I was 10, uh, back in 1988, um, me and my family all came over to the United States and we moved to Astoria, Queens and, None of us spoke any English. I think my parents were very brave. They were very entrepreneurial, um, leaving their home country to come over here. And they started their own businesses. Um, and, you know, growing up in Astoria without the ability to speak English, I just saw them get taken advantage um, of a lot. And I used to watch Law and Order sort of religiously. I think that's where I probably learned how to speak English mostly, aside from school. Um, uh, yeah, so I always thought, you know, if I can just be like one of those lawyers on Law and Order, um, I can correct all the injustices in the world and make things right and help people that are being taken advantage of, like my parents were. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story, and I had uh, a conversation with my father not that long ago. And he said a similar thing because he, he knew a guy who came over from, I think he was from South Korea and he came over here and was literally living in the back of a Chinese restaurant shop. And mm-hmm. he was, he was working there and sleeping on this mattress in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. And everybody, he said that would come in the restaurant they just they just didn't show a lot of respect to anybody who owned the restaurant or anybody who worked there. But what he did was he learned the trade of how the guy ran his restaurant. He worked up enough money. He actually had his wife come over. She lived back there with him. And then he ended up opening his own restaurant based off what he learned from that guy. And now he owns like massive chains of these restaurants and makes, I mean, a, a bunch of money and an amazing living. And he took advantage of that. And, and it's such an amazing thing to see people have a dream and, and really follow it through. And so I'm, I'm super pumped that you're on here to share that with us. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the American dream, right? I mean, you know, it's like that dream that every immigrant has of coming over here, going from rags to riches, and of course having their children become super successful. Um, so yeah, I love that story about your friend. That's amazing. The problem is that, you know, probably 30% of the people that are already here take everything for granted and never, you know, never try to get to that point of living the, the uh, quote unquote American dream, you know? Right. Right. They don't have that fire under them. Yeah. It's a sad reality either way, Uh, but, but you're doing some amazing things and you're teaching attorneys and lawyers how to be mindful. When did you start uh, meditating and, and how did you come about, you know, what was the first time that you did it? Cause I think that these stories are always interesting. Uh, to see the transition from how it was the first time to, to what you do with it now and the power that it has in your life and with all the things that you're doing. Uh, yeah. So I started meditating when I was in law school. So I went to law school in Buffalo, New York. And for a time I actually lived in a yoga slash meditation home called the Himalayan Institute. They have branches all around the world 
And so that was the first time I was introduced to meditation. And then I graduated from law school and I just completely fell out of habit. And about four years ago, um, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I wouldn't say I was unhappy. Like things were going really amazingly well. Like I had just met my you know, my husband and I were getting married. Um, we, our business was going great. Like everything was just as it should be. And I and I would think that I was happy, but clearly I wasn't because I would always get like stomach aches and back aches and headaches, and I would just sort of micromanage all of those pains with medication. Um, and then I started losing clumps of hair. So I was planning my wedding and I, I jokingly say that that's the thing that broke the camel's back. I was planning my wedding and that was the one thing that I just could not handle, right? I couldn't handle like my lawyer workload and everything else that was going on in my life. And I started losing clumps of hair. <laughs> and I was like, I can't be a bald bride, right? <laughs> so I like ran running to the doctor. He ran every test and he goes, Gina, there is nothing wrong with you. Think this is all in your head. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, whatever, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. But reluctantly, because I really just wanted to stop losing hair, I went and met with um, a psychiatrist. And she was like, yeah, actually, you have um, social anxiety and you're suffering from some anxiety disorder. And you have probably have some like mild form of depression. And here are a bunch of pills. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have, you know, like at least 30 years of law practice ahead of me. And I, and I just, you know, I felt like um, like in that movie Matrix, you know, like, it's like, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? And I just thought, I don't, I, I, I didn't want that, op I didn't want that choice of continuing to live my life while I was just medicating my way through it. And when I reflect back on that moment, it was like my body was telling me like, hey, you know what, all this stuff you're doing is not working. The way you're living your life is not working. But I just wasn't paying attention. And then I was like, all right, well, you stop, you weren't paying attention to the stomach ache and the back aches and the headaches. How about we start losing some hair? Let's see how that one goes. <laughs> right? So I think our bodies are these like amazing machines and it, it's really good about telling us what's working and what's not. So I think that was a great lesson to learn to actually like tune in to my body and start listening. <laughs> yeah, they're so alive I and mean, it's an amazing thing. That a lot of people ignore that, but, but really, I mean, they will tell you things and that's, that's such a, that's such a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a friend of mine um, who is who's a psychotherapist said, you know, Gina, you should go take this class. It's called mindfulness-based stress reduction. They teach it at Stanford. They teach it to their undergrads and their MBA students and their, um, medical students. So I did like a ton of research on the MBSR program and I saw all the science behind it. There was so much research behind the MBSR program. And I thought, well, they're teaching it at Stanford let me go and try it. It's eight weeks. Like, what do I have to lose? Um, and it like literally transformed and changed my life. So I stopped losing hair, thank goodness. Um, but I also just felt more alive and happier um, in a way that I don't think I ever really felt before in my life. And it really sort of made me question how I lived my life. So 
you know, growing up, like I always had these messages from my parents. It's like, you know, you have to do well in school. You have to go to the best college. You have to do well in your SAT. You have to go to law school. You have to become a lawyer. Like there were all these sort of messages that I internalized. And then I had this moment like, well, you know, I need to just pause and like really reflect on like, what are my values and why am I really doing the things that I'm doing? Um, And it really just completely changed my life. And ever since then, um, you know, and I, and then I started just telling other lawyers about my story, you know, about how I was losing, you know, like I was always losing sleep. I had like really bad insomnia all the time, the headaches and, you know, all of these things. And the lawyers I told the story to were like, oh yeah, I have the same problem. (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. So like we sort of as a profession suffer from this. And, you know, there's all kinds of um, studies around lawyers and how we were, you know, the fourth profession to in terms of rate of suicide, like 60 percent of us are clinically depressed. Forty percent of law students are clinically depressed by the time they graduate from law school. You know, we abuse substances and like alcohol and drugs at a much, much higher rate than the general population. And like I always knew that, but I just sort of heard it and it was just like in one ear out the other and I thought wait a second like this needs to change like if we are going to be the change agents in the world and you know I mean like lawyers we help clients and we make a difference in the world like we have to heal ourselves first um so that's I guess a very very long answer to your question is so how I um, started meditating that is so powerful to think about. And and I never really thought about the lawyers. And, and now that I think about it, you know, they, that is the stat. Those are the stats that they put out, the, you know, these high suicide rates, this high rate of depression, uh, which kind of makes you start to think. And, and that makes perfect sense now as to why people like you and, and Kim actually are going to these lawyers and attorneys and teaching them mindfulness and meditation because for me, it was the same thing. I kind of hit on with exactly what you said. I was just so stressed out and so anxious and so many things going on at once. And I just, even though I was accomplishing so much, I just never felt like I was. And my entire life was so stressed. And when I started meditating, literally, you know, that, that, that goes away. And if I feel that way anymore, I'll just meditate. And then when I come back to, I realize that I'm so much happier and I start to see all these things that I love and accept so much more, you know, you, there's like this huge feeling of acceptance afterwards. Yeah, I know. Isn't that incredible? I mean, like, I think my favorite part about cultivating a meditation practice is how I begin my day, right? So before I started meditating, I would open my eyes in the morning and immediately my brain would be going like 300 miles per hour thinking about all the things that I have to do, all the stuff that happened yesterday, what the judge said, all the things that I have to do later that day. And then I'd like suck down my cup of coffee and then I'd hop in the shower and I'd be shampooing my hair and I'd be thinking about that client and how dare he say that to me or why did he do that? I just don't understand. And now, like, I get up in the morning, I open my eyes, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I am alive. I got another day, right? It's a gift, right? Like, every morning that you wake up in the morning, like, it truly is. And it's it's an amazing thing that we are given, like, this precious moments 
every single day of our lives and we have no guarantees as to how many more of those we'll have. And I just have so much more of an appreciation for my life um, in a way that I just never did before. Yeah, I mean, we are alive and that's definitely not always going to be the case. And uh, the one of the first interviews I did on this show was Sarab Mirman. He's a director down there in Hollywood and it's episode two, I believe. Great guy. He won the New York International uh, Film Festival when he was 19. He won the Audience Choice, which is pretty amazing. Wow. I think he's maybe 30 now or so, but he told me this amazing quote, and it was, every day is a bonus round. Mm. So calm down and enjoy something beautiful. And I wrote that up on on my whiteboard, and it's like my go-to quote. I mean, it's the I like quotes, and I love to read through all of them, but that's my go-to quote because it it, it explains exactly what you were just saying. I mean, the acceptance is there, and and every single day we have another opportunity, and that's not always going to be the case. So we need to take that and accept it and just – you know, take advantage of it and enjoy everything that we do. And it's, it's powerful, super powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's such a simple sort of concept, right? You know, people always say like, oh, you know, smell the roses, be in the moment. And you just kind of think, eh, whatever. But when you really practice it and embrace it, it makes all the difference. And I think it's, that's like, you almost feel like it's almost too simple, right? Like, so when I try to explain to lawyers, like how this all works, they kind of look at me and they're like, really? That just sounds way too easy. Like, you mean like if I just close my eyes and sit and watch my breath for two minutes a day, like I'll feel better. And I'm like, yeah, like that just sounds so easy. (laughs) (laughs) I used to think the same thing too. You know, I used to cold shoulder the hell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I literally wrote a blog post about my first experience because I I was at a music festival in Topanga Canyon, California. Okay. And people that know where that is might think, whoa, whoa, you know, why'd you go there? But I, I didn't know we weren't from the area. So we go to this music festival and very soon realize that it was very cult-like. There was a lot of, you know, there was a community that lived there. And at that time, I was so close-minded, and I was much younger, and I would have never even thought about, uh, you know, meditation. I was still stuck in, oh, I'm going to get a job and you know work full time and never do anything creative with my life. And now it's completely different. Uh, but I saw these people, you know, these girls that obviously never shaved any part of their bodies, and <laughs> these guys that were in like you know monk-like outfits, and they're holding each other's heads and meditating and making weird sounds. And then there's this guy standing up on top of this rock at the top of the canyon. And he's just naked holding this burning pot of sage. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, how do these people live like this? What are they doing? And, and now that I look back, I think about, you know, wow, you know, they, even though it's much different than any culture I would ever live in or, you know, style that I would li- ever live like, they probably really were in a, you know, a higher, a much higher consciousness than I was. Um, yeah. And the way that that was actually affecting them was probably so powerful. And I have a lot of respect for it now, but it, it's a funny story because a lot of people, they just give it the cold shoulder and they never try it. But, you know, it's not like you have to sit down and meditate for 25 minutes the first time and expect it to change your life because that's not going to be the case. Uh, but a little bit at a time, wow, what it can, what it can do for your life. Yeah, for sure. And I and I think if that was your first introduction to meditation, I can see how you would be like, oh, 
they're not like me, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I can I can definitely see how that may not have been the best introduction to meditation. Like, uh, like for me, you know, when I went to the Stanford class, that was much, you know, because everyone in the class were like, you know, like doctors and lawyers and students and people that were like, like me. So there wasn't that, you know, no one was chanting, no one was burning sage. And I mean, I have nothing against any of those things. But you know, I feel like it was the right introduction for me. So I think finding your right entry point is also very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I also think that if you find one and you do a guided meditation, and you don't like it, or you're just not clicking with the person, try somebody else because that really does make a difference. You'll find one that really fits you well, and you'll yeah. find some that don't at all. Yes, so don't absolutely. Just, don't just quit because because you don't. And you know, some people don't use guided meditations at all, and there's benefits to any type. But it's such an amazing thing, and uh, you've obviously have your law practice, and now you teach meditation to lawyers because you found that you know, gap that people were just like you. And that's something that they needed. So how has it been since you started doing that? Um, you know, it's, well, I mean, personally, it's been amazing, um, uh, you know, in terms of how it's being received in the legal profession, it's been um, mixed. Like some people are really curious about it and they want to try it. And some people are like, mm, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird, like, you know, like, do I have to like shave my head and do I have to like start dressing like a monk or do I have to go sit in India for a month? So it's, um, so it's been, you know, it's, it's been mixed, but I certainly don't expect everyone to embrace it. And I feel like my job is to just show up and make this information available. Like I'm not here to sell meditation to anyone, right? Like if you want to learn about it, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Um, but you know, this isn't like joining a cult, right? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like this is totally something that is available to you. It's kind of like a gym, right? Like you, you know, it's like you can come, you can work out or not work out. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to like shove it down your throat. So <laughs> it's not like burning sage naked on the top of a mountain somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you've taken all this information now and you, and you're, starting your process of becoming a writer and you're, you're writing a book on meditation for the American Bar Association, I think, and it's called The Anxious Lawyer. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so The Anxious Lawyer. So I was The Anxious Lawyer and I am no longer an anxious lawyer. And uh, like lawyers really love that title because when I say The Anxious Lawyer, they I think they all sort of secretly identify with that title, whether they admit it or not is another story. And the other really funny thing I notice is when I tell non-lawyers that I'm writing a book titled The Anxious Lawyer, they all want to tell me about the anxious lawyer that they know, <laughs> right? And they go, oh, you should meet my cousin Bob. You know, he's always stressed out. Like, he totally needs to read your book. So it's, you know, I kind of went back and forth between whether to call it the mindful lawyer or, you know, meditation for lawyer, but it's going to be called The Anxious Lawyer, and it'll be an eight-week sort of self-guided um, program. So, uh, you know, mindfulness and meditation is not something you can just read and absorb the information. It's You really have to learn it experientially. 
So there'll be formal practices, which is meditation practice, and then there'll be informal practice where you can bring mindfulness into your everyday life, into your legal practice. And, you know, hopefully it will be a book that you can pick up one week and either work through it for eight consecutive weeks or, you know, might be a week or two before you pick it back up. But it will be a guide that you can use. Um, It'll be a workbook that you can actually take and use and implement the tools that are in there. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, thank you. Hands on. Hands on, exactly. That's how I rock out. I'm a visual person. I love the hands-on stuff. So, yeah. Well, what was the? You know, I know you've been involved with so many publications and speaking engagements and, and all over the board. But what was kind of the process of writing this first book uh, for people that are out there? We we do have a lot of uh, people that would like to write a book, or maybe they blog now and they'd like to get into doing something bigger. Uh, what are your personal habits that that you kind of put in place so that you can make that happen? So writing a book, so this is my second book. My first book was um, for LexisNexis where um, Kim Nickel is actually um, the one that's responsible for helping me get my first book deal. So I should just give her props for that. Um, Really? (laughs) Yeah. And so my first book was on how to manage your law office. And this is my second book. Um, And this is a completely different experience in writing my first book because the first book was very technical, like how to run your law office. This is how you set up your business account. And this is how you manage your trust account. And it was very technical. So there wasn't a whole lot of like soul searching or looking inside my heart or, you know, thinking about how I interact with my own clients or how I interact with opposing counsel. But this is, you know, it's like near and dear to me. Like this one feels more like like giving birth to a baby and then I have to like shove this baby out into the world and <laughs> say, go forth and grow and do your thing. Um, and, you know, writing 80,000 words, which is about the number of words that I'll need to produce in order to um, write 300 page book is, it's a lot of work, <laughs> you know, and I, and I probably written like 30, you know, like 60,000 words and just writing um, blogs over I don't know the number of however many years I've been blogging, but to actually write a body of work and write, generate eighty thousand words is um, it's challenging, and and that's also where my mindfulness practice comes in, <laughs> right? So this is great because I get to actually practice what I'm writing about. So there are mornings where I get up and I'll sit at my desk and I'll just sit there and the little cursor will just blink at me and I would feel like the little cursor is like kind of cursing at me going, what do you know about mindfulness and meditation? And who do you think you are writing this book? And like my, you know, it's my little negative Miss Perfect comes out and then I just have to be mindful and be like, oh, okay. Like that's my inner critic coming out. And how do I deal with that mindfully? Right. (laughs) Because I can't just be like, oh, I hate this part of myself. I'm going to like surgically remove it or tell this part of myself to go to hell. It's like I have to like actually practice what I'm writing, which is right, like self-compassion and really be like, oh, like why do you feel that way? Like why do you feel like you're not good enough? And it's usually something like, well, you know, what if I write this book and it sucks and no one buys it? 
<laughs> so there's like it's just like all this sort of like inner battle and you know i used to read like um like elizabeth gilbert and you know like stephen K and Kay, and like and all these famous writers would talk about the the writer's angst and just the struggle of writing and like i now understand like why so many writers like commit suicide and are depressed <laughs> and you know like have all these inner struggles <laughs> yeah that's that's so funny i mean the process of writing a book has got to be quite a, a 300 pages that's a lot i mean you you've got to really put in some habits in place and, and kind of i guess that's where lift could come in handy obviously yes. you know when i write i try to write for about 30 minutes every single morning after i read but uh, i i have some plans to write a book myself, which is actually on the people and why they fear following their passions and their creative, you know, dreams and oh, how it's it. how they basically handicap themselves their whole life because they're scared of something that doesn't really even exist. And I'm going right. to, and they end up being just a, you know, a bitter, cold, scared dickhead for the rest of their life. And right. so the, the title that it's under production under right now is don't be a scared dickhead, but I don't know if I'll, <laughs> I feel like it's a right. good catchy title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the premise, and yeah, and and it's like so spot on, and and you can totally bring your mindfulness practice and just like you know, just sitting with all the fears and uh, you know all the doubts and shame and you know whatever else arises out of you, and being like, okay, well, there it is, and now you actually have a choice as to how you're going to respond. Right. So instead yeah. of just having sort of like a knee jerk reaction and saying, I'm not going to do it, I can't do it. You can look at it and say, well, I can at least take the first step and maybe I can write 50 words today and see how that goes and write 50 words tomorrow. You know, and it's just like putting one step in front of the other and eventually you'll have this body of work. Yeah. And doing a little bit at a time. I mean, even if you start something and you don't finish it, it's better than never starting it to begin with. And so doubting yourself is just erroneous. I mean, it's it's something that everybody does. Everybody fears. Everybody has that in the back of their head saying, well, you know, who am I to do this? Why should I do this? But why would you not do it? You can look at it from the other side also. You know, what, what would happen if you didn't do it? Well, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be in the same spot as you were. What would happen if you do do it? Well, new doors will open. That's what's going to happen. And you'd right. be surprised these doors and how they'll just continue to create new doors and new doors and new doors. And pretty soon, you know, you're walking through a thousand doors that you would have never known even existed had you not taken that one step of like writing 50 words that first day, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the one thing that I have really truly learned from my mindfulness practice is that my only job is to show up. Right. So every morning it's my job to get up, sit on my meditation cushion, meditate and sit in front of my laptop and write. And whether this book sells 100 copies or 10,000 copies or whatever, it's not up to me. Right. That is like up to some something else that I have absolutely no control over. So for me to even worry about whether it's going to be like a success or, uh, you know, or failure. And I think a lot of artists struggle with this because they think, 
oh, well, what if it sucks? Or what if, you know, no one loves it? Or, you know, what if it doesn't sell? Well, you don't have control over that, right? Like the only thing you can do is show up every day and do your best. That's it. Like that is your only job. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even if even if it doesn't sell one copy, you still have that to say, hey, I wrote this book. That makes you an expert in a lot of people's eyes. That's you know, right. You've actually taken the step and accomplished that is a whole nother level. So Absolutely. Yeah, we, we yeah. can't we can't live in the fear because Obviously, there's just there's too many amazing things out here in this world uh, that you you need to get a hold of, you need to touch and, and understand, and and fearing is something that you know that's that's for the birds, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> a quote that I love is the story of the human race is the story of men and women selling themselves short, and I I I cannot look explain enough to the, these people that you know, you know, friends, family, and everybody has them. And you notice what you're doing. And then you kind of hang out with these people. And you notice that a lot of them are doing the same thing that they were in, say, high school. Mm-hmm. And it never changes. Yeah. And they don't even think about taking one step forward. They see other people do it, but they never even once think, why, you know, I should be able to do this too. No, Nobody started in that position. The people that got to where they are, you know, they took a step forward and they did something. And anybody can do it. I mean, every everybody can do it, and it's it's uh, something that we could talk about forever, but maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, just like a little side story that I think maybe your audience um, may appreciate. So, uh, two years ago, um, I went to Burning Man for the first time. Nice. And, yeah. So here I am, right, like lawyer, totally prim and proper, in my like REI clothes at Burning Man. And I randomly bumped into this guy and, um, and, and he just like looked at me and he said, why are you here? And he's like, why are you on this earth? And it's like, what would truly make you happy and joyful? And in that moment, I realized I had never asked myself those questions and no one in my life has ever asked me those questions either. So I left Burning Man and I decided I am no longer going to confine myself to this box that I had artificially created, right? And I was going to just take a year to just see, like, what am I really passionate about? Like, what would really make me happy? And once I gave myself that permission, it was incredible. Like, I, I, you know, I was making lists and lists and lists of things that I could potentially do. And, you know, and I think that's just so painful to see people who aren't living up to their full potential because your life is so precious and we're here for such a brief period of time. So it it just breaks my heart when I hear stories like that of people that are just, that feel like they're trapped and they have no options. Yeah. So everybody needs to get out there and do a little boogie, get a little funky and, and, you know, take it head on because there's really no good reason not to. Totally. And Gina, if you could spend a little bit of time creating something with anybody from the past or present, who do you think you would choose and what would you create? Oh my gosh. Um, so I am such a huge fan of Dale Chihuly. Um, he's a, he 
makes these amazing glass sculptures. He blows glass. And I mean, they are just the most exquisite pieces of art. Like if you've never seen it, go and Google his name. It, they're like incredible. And when I saw it for the first time, um, I was just completely mesmerized. And I, I, I would just love to like, just be in his presence when he's creating his art. Cause I don't even know what I would like make with him. Right. But like, I just want to like go and like, like, you know, like rub his arm or something and hope that some of his artistic genius like rubs off on me. Yeah. Well, how do you spell his name? <laughs> uh, it's C H I H U L Y. Okay. I'm checking him out. Garden of glass. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just look on Google images. <laughs> I mean, they are like, unbelievable oh my gosh there's like the, right on the home page he's got this i don't even know how to explain it it's like a sun sphere with it's unbelievable but yeah very cool well, that's a good answer thank you <laughs> do you do besides him do you have any other creative influences that you've kind of looked up to on your journey as a writer and through mindfulness and meditation um, Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and she gave this amazing TED Talk about our artistic abilities. And um, and if you haven't heard her talk, her TED Talk, you should definitely go and watch it. But um, but she she gives this really beautiful explanation about our creative process and how, like in the ancient Rome times, they used to believe that your genius wasn't yours, right? Like it was this like spiritual thing that just came to you. And it was like almost like yours to borrow for that moment. So if your art kind of sucked, like that wasn't really your fault because that day, like this whatever spirit or this artistic gift just wasn't with you. And her whole point was that, you know, like we just put so much pressure on ourselves to produce these amazing works of art and if we can just like kind of what I said earlier just like show up like your only job is to like show up and and then you can kind of leave it up to the universe and say well I'm here doing my thing and it's up to you to also help me do this thing and that really shifted what I thought about my artistic um, process wow that's all I have to say I mean (laughs) And I'm, and I'm still looking at this guy's artwork too. So it just extra blows my mind there. <laughs> I'll check out her Ted talk for sure. Yeah. I've actually, definitely. Never, I've actually never heard her. So, Oh yeah. She's really amazing. Um, and then, um, and then Stephen King wrote a book called on writing. Um, and, and it's also a really great book if, um, you haven't read it, but it's all about sort of his writing process and how when he writes, he writes for his muse, who is his wife. And, you know, it's just this really wonderful, uh, like, and, you know, especially coming from like a genius like him, right? And just sort of like his um, writing process. Yeah. And that's an interesting take on, you know, ancient civilizations and how they they kind of felt like the spirit would come in and, and do that. It's a good way to look at it in a sense. Um, although, you know, your spirit in your body, everybody in the world has different views on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but the genius, you know, 
you might be down one day where you just feel like you can't do anything, but yeah, you absolutely should not let that bother you because the next day you might do the craziest, most creative thing that you could ever imagine. So right. That's, that's a pretty cool way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if you had to battle Godzilla, how do you think you would use your creativity or talents to defeat that big, ugly bastard? <laughs> so I knew this question was coming and I thought, I've been thinking about sort of the best answer, right? And I thought, I'm not going to worry about it. Like in the moment, I will just come up with an answer. Um, so in this moment, I, I feel like, I guess like, I don't know, like, why would I want to kill this like magnificent beast? Right. I, I mean, it's like, he's, 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 he's a living being. And so am I. And I don't know if, I guess if he tried to kill me, like I would run in the other direction because my, I really wouldn't be able to like beat, you know, beat him under any circumstances. Um, but I would just be like, Hey, like, you know, I'm not trying to harm you. Like, why are you trying to harm me? Um, and just try to be like as compassionate as I can be in that moment. And if not, I'll run like hell in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just learned one thing about you that you must be a super violent person because you had the thought of having to kill him to defeat him instead of just <laughs> defeat him. We know, we know where your mind's at. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but yeah, he's he could be a big, furry, cuddly animal for all we know. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe he's just misunderstood, right? Yeah, we can use him to our advantages, right? Right. Right. Like maybe, right. Like maybe he's here to like do some amazing good in the world and we just like need to understand him. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you have any favorite um, advice for our listeners you think you could leave them with? I mean, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. We've had an amazing conversation. Mindfulness, meditation. I'm getting so pumped up that I might actually have to add an extra heady little meditation session in tonight. Um, I Yay. usually do it in the morning, but maybe, maybe I'll do that. Who knows? And maybe everybody at home will do it too, but. There you go. Go wild. Yeah, go wild. <laughs> Absolutely. So do, do you have any advice? Um, to be your own best friend, um, to cultivate that ability to be really, really kind to yourself. Um, I think we all just have this tendency to be so harsh with ourselves and so critical in a way that we would never be with anyone else in our life. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I feel like, like that's, if there is like one message that I can really spread out there in the world is really just to practice kindness towards yourself. Yeah. And there's nothing, nothing more subtle than that. Uh, simple and straight to the point in, and seriously, be your yeah, be your friend. Be your own best friend because it's the number one thing that you can do to make your life better. Right. Yeah. And and actually, when I teach mindfulness to um, lawyers, the one question I'll always ask them is, if your best friend or your child or your spouse was in this situation, how would you respond? And often it's completely 180 than how they're responding to themselves. So, you know, like if, and I, and I think 
oftentimes like they talk to themselves and treat themselves in a way that they wouldn't like even their worst enemies. So yeah, I mean, just like give yourself a break, <laughs> you know, like you are only human. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Unless you're Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> So how can our listeners find you or get in contact with you or maybe get an update when you release this this book called The Anxious Lawyer? Uh, so you can go to my website, theanxiouslawyer.com, um, or find me on Twitter. Um, it's Gina, J-E-E-N-A underscore Cho, C-H-O. Um, and I'm also very active on Facebook, so you can also find me on Facebook. Cool. Well, I'll put all those show notes in, or I'll put all those links in the show notes and so everybody can go to artsynow.com and check that out. And Gina, it's been a fabulous time having you on. Super funky. Uh, everybody get out there, do a little boogie-woogie, do a little dance, get get jiving and hopping. Uh, go outside and smile at somebody and hug them. If you know any of your neighbors that are always just pissed off, just you know, go give them a high five or take them a pizza and have a party or something and and you'll see how enthusiasm is infectious. And Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, Move your body. <laughs> Move your body. Do the Macarena. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, once again, thanks a lot for being the Archapreneur now. And Thank always, you. Yeah. And always remember to keep it funky, Gina. Oh, I had so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Archapreneur Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music? Well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.